Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. So there's a well-known saying uh, I'd like you to finish for me. You ready? God helps those who... Huh. Huh. Yeah. Is that true? Is that what the Bible says? Hmm. Interesting, though. It's interesting. We all know it, right? The idea is uh, you can't just wait around for God to act, right? That's good. We have to have agency and initiative. We have to make things happen. But what, does the stories in, what do the stories in Genesis have to say about this, right? It makes you wonder uh, about... The, the scriptural version of this, uh, this little phrase here. Uh, how many of you have heard of the stories of Br'er Rabbit? Have you heard these, these stories? Okay, very nice. Uh, here's some info about uh, Br'er Rabbit uh, and the stories from a Britannica article. Br'er Rabbit is a trickster figure originating, originating in African folklore and transmitted by enslaved Africans to the New World where it acquired attributes of similar Native American trickster tales. Br'er, or Brother Rabbit, was popularized in the United States in the stories of Joel Chandler Harris uh, in, uh, in the 1800s. The character's adventures embody uh, an idea considered to be a universal creation among oppressed peoples, that a small, weak, but ingenious force can overcome a larger, stronger, but dull-witted power. Br'er Rabbit continually outsmarts his bigger animal associates, like Br'er Fox, Br'er Wolf, and Br'er Bear, unquote. So here's a story about Br'er Rabbit that I found on AmericanFolklore.net. You ready for this? One fine morning, Br'er Fox decided to plant him a patch of goober peas. He set to with a will, and before you know it, he had raked and hoed out a beautiful patch of ground, and he put a fine planting of peas right there. It didn't take too long before those goober vines grew tall and long, and the peas ripened up good and smart. Now, Br'er Rabbit, he'd watched Br'er Fox planting the goobers, and he told his children and Miss Rabbit where they could find the patch. Soon as those peas were ripe, the little rabbits and Br'er Rabbit would sneak in on in and, and grab up those goobers by the handfuls. It got so bad that when Br'er Fox came to the goober patch, he could hardly find a pea to call his own. Well, Br'er Fox, he was plenty mad that he'd worked so hard on those peas only to have them eaten by someone else. I mean, wouldn't you be? Yes. So he suspected that Br'er Rabbit was to blame for this, but that rascally rabbit had covered his tracks so well that Br'er Fox couldn't catch him. So Br'er Fox came up with a plan. He found a smooth spot in his fence where a cunning rabbit could sneak in, and he set up a trap 
for Br'er Rabbit at that very spot. He tied a rope to a nearby hickory sapling and bent it nearly double. Then he took the other end of the rope and made a loop knot that he fastened with a trigger right around the hole in the fence. If anybody came through the crack to steal his peas, well, the knot would tighten around their body, the sapling would spring upright, and they would be left hanging from the tree for everyone to see. The next morning, Br'er Rabbit came a-slipping through the hole in the fence, and what do you know? At once, the trigger sprung, the knot tightened on his four legs, and the hickory tree snapped upright quick as you please. Br'er Rabbit found himself swung aloft between the heaven and the earth, swinging from the hickory sapling. He couldn't go up, and he couldn't go down. He just went back and forth, back and forth. Br'er Rabbit was in a fix, no mistake. He was trying to come up with some glib explanation for Br'er Fox when he heard someone a-rumbling and a-bumbling down the road. It was Br'er Bear looking for a bee tree so he could get him some honey. As soon as Br'er Rabbit saw Br'er Bear, he came up with a plan. Howdy, Br'er Bear, he called cheerfully. Br'er Bear squinted around here and there, wondering where the voice had come from. Then he looked up and saw Br'er Rabbit swinging from the sapling. Howdy, Br'er Rabbit. Uh, how are you this morning? Uh, middling, Br'er Bear, just middling. Br'er Bear was wondering why Br'er Rabbit was up in the tree. So we asked him about it, and Br'er Rabbit grinned and said he was earning a dollar a minute from Br'er Fox. A dollar a minute, Br'er Bear explained. What for? Well, I'm keeping the crows away from his goober patch, Br'er Rabbit explained, and he went on to say that Br'er Rabbit was paying a dollar a minute to whoever would act as a scarecrow for him. Well, Br'er Bear liked the sound of that, yeah. He had a big family to feed, and he could use the money. So when Br'er Rabbit asked him if he would like to have the job, Br'er Bear agreed. Br'er Rabbit showed him how to bend the sapling down, right, and remove the knot from his forepaws. When Br'er Rabbit was free, Br'er Bear climbed into the knot, and as soon as he was hanging between heaven and earth, swinging two from the sapling and growling at the birds to keep them away from the goober patch. He was doing an excellent job. Br'er Bra Rabbit laughed and laughed at the sight of Br'er Bear in, up in the sapling. He scampered down the road to Br'er Fox's place and told him that his trap was sprung and the goober thief had been found. Oh, yes. Br'er Fox grabbed his walking stick and ran down the road after Br'er Rabbit. When he saw Br'er Bear hanging there, Br'er Fox called him a goober thief. You goober thief. Br'er Fox ranted and raved and threatened to hit Br'er Bear with his walking stick. He yelled so loud that Br'er Bear did not have time to explain a thing. Br'er Rabbit knew that Br'er Bear would be plenty mad at him when he found out he'd been tricked. So he went on down the road and he hid in a mud pond, beside, in the mud beside the pond, so only his eyeballs stuck out. And it, li it looked like a uh, what? What do you think he looked like, kids? He looked like a bullfrog, right in the mud. And grumpy old Br'er Bear came a-rumbling down the road. Howdy there, Br'er Bullfrog, Br'er Bear said. And he saw Br'er Rabbit's eyes sticking out. You seen Br'er Rabbit anywhere? Oh, I think he went just down the road there. Yes. Uh, ribbit. <coughs> ribbit. And then when Br'er Bear was out of sight, Br'er Rabbit jumped out of the mud, washed himself off, and thought about how he could get some more goober peas tomorrow.
So what do we make of the trickster? How do we feel about Br'er Rabbit getting away with it scot-free? Are there aspects of his character we're supposed to admire and other aspects we're supposed to not admire? <laughs> what about the folks that Br'er Rabbit swindles? How do we feel about them? The archetype of the shrewd, clever conniver appears all over ancient literature and myths, right? Like uh, Loki, for example, right? Familiar with that, the, the trickster? Yeah. And uh, this archetype, guess what? Appears in the Bible as well. Most notably in the person of Br'er Jacob. So what do we learn from this trickster? Let's dive in at the beginning of the Parsha when we come across a prophecy, but it's a little bit more than a prophecy. Now these are the genealogies of Isaac, Abraham's son, Toldot. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took for himself Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padam Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean to be his wife. Isaac prayed to Adonai on behalf of his wife because she was barren. Adonai answered his plea, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. But the children struggled with one another inside of her, and she said, if it's like this, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of Adonai, and Adonai said this to her. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from your body will be separated. One will be stronger than the other people, but the older will serve the younger. However, if we can just hold that for a second, uh, the Hebrew says, Varav Ya'avod Tsa'ir. That's what the last line says in Hebrew, and we're going to come back to that. So uh, we have a prophecy here, but it's not as clear as this translation might seem. So we're going to have a quick Hebrew lesson. Is that all right with you guys? All right. Oh, we're excited. Okay. So the, the word translated older here is rav, and it really means great, the greater one. It doesn't mean the older one. In fact, in Genesis... The word rav is never used to refer to an older sibling. There's another word they use for that, which is gadol, meaning bigger or elder. So there's another Rabbi David uh, who uh, was here before me, and whenever I see him or call him or write him an email, I say, hagadol, and he says, hakatan. And those are our nicknames for each other, right? As he is David the Elder, Hagadol, and I am David the Younger, David Hakatan. But the word here is not Gadol. The word used in, in this passage is Rav. Rav. What, is, what does Rav mean? Well, Rav is the root of the word Rabbi. It's a title you would give a learned scholar for example, I call Scott Moore Rav Scott, not only because I think he's great and not only because he is a learned scholar, but also because it means I'm saying Great Scott in Hebrew, which is 
really fun for me. <clears throat> the Tower of Babel folks were building a tower in the sky. Really, it's, it's called a ziggurat. It's like a, it's like a pyramid. And uh, what were they trying to do? They were trying to make their name Rav. They're trying to make themselves great. And then in the next chapter, thanks, Jason, you can pull that down. In the next chapter, um, chapter 12 is the great promise to Abraham. And God says to him, what? I will make your name Rav. So in Genesis 11, they were trying to do it themselves. They were trying to build themselves up. Oh, we're going to get to heaven. We're going to take over the throne. We're going to be so Rav. We're going to be so great with our new invention, the brick. And we're going to reach all the way up to heaven, and we get to decide what's good and evil, and we get to be our own gods. Yeah, it didn't work out for them that well, did it? Right? Whereas there's a reversal of that in Genesis 12. God says to Abraham, I will make you great. Right? Because he was humble. Because he was humble. So the other word, sa'ir, really means lesser. So that last phrase, varav ya'avod sa'ir, really means the greater will serve the lesser. Or does it? We're going to get even deeper into the Hebrew here. When I went to Wayne's last Hebrew class, uh, one thing about Wayne that I like is that he explained things in a relational way. And he always, uh, he always gives the context. If you notice, if you're ever in his classes or if you ever have heard him preach from, from the Bema here, he always gives context and relates things so that it's understandable, right? You know what I'm talking about? And so in this particular class, he described a Hebrew word really well that we don't have in English. And that word is et. And it's usually not translated, and uh, it marks an object in Hebrew. And Wayne said that it's kind of like you're the victim of something. So he said, you know, if I give like a big hug to Wayne, he's the victim of my hug, right? So he would get an et in, in Hebrew, right? So in Hebrew, it would say, David hugs et Wayne. Does that make sense? So the problem is this prophecy has no et. So you don't know who's doing what to whom. So one way you could translate this is also something like, the greater the lesser will serve. Sounds more like a, a riddle from Yoda than a, than a clear prophecy, right? Mm. The greater will serve the lesser will serve the greater lesser. Mm. Yes. All right. So the point is that the prophecy is, is more of a riddle. And it tells us something about prophecy, and it tells us something about God. Imagine if you took a trickster like Br'er Rabbit or a conniver like Jacob, and you isolated all of the goodness of that trait, like you purified it with fire. What kind of gem would come out? Yes, Jacob tricks his brother into selling his birthright for a bowl of red stuff. And yes, Jacob and Rebekah conspire to trick Isaac into blessing Jacob instead of Esau as he had planned. But is there anything good there? Is there a gem in there? 
Jacob and Rebecca, his mother, are shrewd. They have street smarts. They're clever and cunning. They take initiative. They have agency. They're active. They value the more important things of life. Jacob values the firstborn rights rather than food. Jacob values the blessing of his father. They don't show their hand right away. They don't give out all the information at once. Who else has that kind of wisdom in the Bible? I think of uh, Esther, right? She doesn't say that she's Jewish right away. She's cunning. She's smart. She's shrewd. Why? In order to protect her people. She doesn't show her hand. Is this deception? Well, you could look at it that way. But distilled to its positive trait, what is it? It's discernment. It's wisdom. Cleverness from God. There was a popular show when I was growing up called MacGyver. Raise your hand if you're familiar with this, this show. Okay, good. All right. So each week, MacGyver would get into a jam, right? And he would use science to get out of it. So as in he'd be trapped in a room with like random objects, like a, there would be like a paperclip and a candle and a piece of gum and a troll doll or something. And then he'd calmly use these items and some scientific reasoning to always get free. And I would, I would describe this as being resourceful, not giving up when the chips are down. Jacob and MacGyver and Rebecca and Esther, they're scrappers, right? They're plucky. They're go-getters, right? They keep their wits about them, right? That's a good thing. The person in my life that describes this to a T, I'll give you one guess as who that is. <laughs> yes, Eric's pointing at her back there, my wife, Sonia. A few weeks ago, I described in, in a sermon here uh, a situation where we were on a trip to, to Pennsylvania and my car died. And uh, I'm not going to retell that whole story. You can, you can go back and listen if you'd like. But what happened was Sonia immediately knew that we were driving home in a car that she had been researching and praying about for two years. But she didn't say anything. She let me go through my thinking process all the while having a hunch, a godly hunch, at what God was doing in this situation. It's like she and God were conspiring to bring about this thing that God wanted to do in our family to give us a car that would be a blessing in this stage of our lives. And meanwhile, the husband is like, uh, maybe we can get it fixed. Uh, I don't know, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, babe, sure, we can, we can test out uh, a few cars on our way back. You know, maybe we'll find something. Yeah, you know, I'm not really feeling uh, like this car is a good replacement for, for mine that died, but uh, I mean, it's a great car and it's a great deal. Um, oh, oh, you, you, you want to test drive it yourself? Yeah, I guess it couldn't hurt, but that would mean that, um, that I would get your old car and you would get the new car, but I guess that's, I guess that's fine. <laughs> it's like being married to a, a Rebecca. <laughs> in all the best ways possible, right? My wife is profound. She's intentional. 
She's mysterious. She plays her hand close to her chest. Yeah. And it, it takes all kinds of people in this world. I'm kind of a what you see is what you get kind of guy, but that's okay. I have, I have other gifts. <laughs> all right. But Jacob, Rebecca, and Esther, and Sonia are made in the image of God. Have you ever thought about that? Which means there is something of the Lord in this character trait as well. This is God as a cunning chess master, which is always combined with loyalty and faithfulness and love. Especially when dealing with the shrewd and clever, guess what? God shows himself to be shrewd and clever. Hence, the prophecy is a riddle. The prophecy is not clear because God also gives riddles. God is also smart. God doesn't say to Rebecca, I understand you have two twins fighting inside your womb. And uh, look, the promise of Abraham to bring blessing to all the nations, to inherit the land, and to bless his descendants is going to this one, Jacob, not Esau. That's the second one to come out, you know, not the first hairy one. Capiche? That's not what the Lord says, right? Rebecca seeks the Lord. She hears from the Lord. But the result is kind of a mystery. It's kind of vague. The greater will serve the lesser. So which one is greater? Which one is Rav, like the great Abraham? The answer comes out in the wash as the two of them finagle their way through life with not always the best results. After Jacob cheats his brother out of his father's blessing, he flees from them because Rebekah learns that Esau is planning to kill Jacob after their father dies. So he spends many years with another trickster, our friend Laban, and he continues to learn and grow. In the end, he comes back to meet with Esau, and he refers to himself as Avdecha. He says, Esau, I am your servant. And he refers to Esau, his brother, as Adoni, my lord. The riddle prophecy becomes clear, but it's not till years later, right? Jacob is greater because he is serving Esau. Not only that, but God meets with this conniver in the wilderness, shows him a ziggurat, shows him a pyramid, right? We, we translated ladder, but they didn't have like ladders that you get at a hardware store back then. It was a, it was a tower, right? Like Babel. God shows him a, a tower to heaven, just like the tower of Babel that humanity was trying to build, but this time God builds it. And God affirms the blessing and promise of Abraham and Isaac upon Jacob. He is indeed Rav. Jacob is the great one. Yeshua the Messiah is also shrewd. 
also a resourceful scrapper, also a concealer of information at times. As God speaks to Rebekah, so too Yeshua speaks in riddles, in parables. He conceals his identity as Messiah, especially if you read through the Gospel of Mark. You'll notice this a lot, right? Here's, a, here's a, an excerpt from the Gospel of Mark. For he had healed many, so that all those afflicted fell down before him in order to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, would fall down before him and cry out, You are Ben Elohim, the Son of God. But Yeshua strictly ordered them not to make him known. Hmm. So what do we take away from this? For one thing, be clever, but be loyal. Be clever, but stay anchored to the promise and the promiser. The wheeling and dealing half-truths of Jacob and Rebekah and Esther are best served when combined with a good morality, with good values, and when they serve the promise of God to be a blessing. All of this finagling is done to bring about the promise of Abraham to inherit the land, to multiply his descendants, to bring blessing to all the families of the earth. When the finagling has that underneath it, it goes better. That being said, Jacob is never directly disciplined for his character flaws, right? God rather uses circumstance such as other tricksters like Laban to sharpen and teach and discipline him. When God speaks to Jacob, he only confirms the covenant and calling of Abraham. Think about that. Right after Jacob flees from Esau, the very next thing that happens, the very next thing is that he has the vision of the tower, as we mentioned earlier. We would expect God to call Jacob to account for cheating his brother and lying to his father. But instead, this is what God says. I am Adonai, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your seed. Your seed will be as the dust of the land. You will burst forth to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. In, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And in your seed, behold, I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not forsake you until I have done what I promised you. Sounds familiar, right? It's the same thing God said to Abraham. God shows mercy. But also, in order to address these character flaws, he brings about circumstance to teach Jacob. With the shrewd, God shows himself to be shrewd. Jacob is attempting to play chess with God, but you can't, you can't outsmart the chess master. Jacob can outwit Esau, and he can outwit Isaac, but he's no match for Hashem. But because of God's kindness and cleverness together, God chooses to teach Jacob through the circumstances of his life. As Proverbs 16.9 says, the heart of man plans his course. We're making plans, right? We're taking initiative. 
but Adonai directs his steps. We all got plans. God likes that. God likes that we take initiative. He likes that we have ideas. Hey, what about this? Right? But we're partnering with someone, and we're the junior partner. And he'll remind us of that through circumstance. When things don't pan out, and we go, oh, wait a second. That's right. He's the, he, he's the senior partner in this. I'm just the junior partner. I'm just kind of responding more. I can still take initiative. I can still have agency. I can have shrewdness. I can have cleverness. But ultimately, it's up to the Lord to direct my steps. Hashem is a chess master, but he's also trustworthy and faithful. He uses his wisdom to bring about covenantal love. Not only that, but God is so far beyond us, there are things we will never comprehend about him in this life. The Lord speaks in riddles and mysteries to remind us that he's a mystery and that we don't understand everything. We receive prophecy, but we're not always able to understand it or interpret it. So we have to be humble. We have to be humble because of the mysteriousness of God. God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want or the way we expect. He always answers us, but not according to our will. Sometimes we pray for someone and they're miraculously healed. And sometimes we pray for someone and they skip a step and they enter the presence of God. And we don't see their healing, but we know that if they're with Yeshua, they're fine. They're okay. They're healed. That's not what we were praying for. <laughs> That's not what we wanted. But God always answers, and he's always faithful. Sometimes we get a sense of something that God wants to do, but it doesn't happen the way we thought or when we thought. Proverbs 25, verse 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. And the glory of kings to search it out. We're kings and queens, right? He's inviting us with these riddles. I'd like to close with a final story, a riddle. This is a, a made-up folk story. It's a parable to remind us of real tricksters like Jacob and real shrewd women of agency like Esther and what we can learn from them. It's a story from Messiah Yeshua. He tells a parable in Luke 16, and I'm just going to close with this. There was once a rich man who had a manager. He got reports that the manager had been taking advantage of his position by running up huge personal expenses. So he called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? You're fired, and I want a complete audit of your books on my desk by Friday. The manager said to himself, well, what am I going to do? I've lost my job as manager. 
I'm not strong enough for a laboring job. I'm too proud to beg. I've got a plan. Here's what I'll do. Then when I'm turned out into the street, people will take me into their houses. Then he went at it. One after another, he called in the people who were in debt to his master. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He replied, a hundred jugs of olive oil. The manager said, here, take your bill, sit down here, quick now, write 50. To the next he said, and you, what do you owe? He answered, a hundred sacks of wheat. He said, take your bill, write in 80. Now here's the surprise. The master praised the crooked manager. What? And why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They are on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right. Using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials, so you'll live, really live, and not complacently, just to get by on good behavior." Unquote. Avinu, our Father, it's my sense that some of us, you have gifted to be godly MacGyvers, to be Jacobs and Esthers with an immense gift and strength of cunning and maneuvering and cleverness. And we ask you to, to, to shape that in us, Lord, as a community so that we can be godly MacGyvers, so that we can be godly Jacobs and godly Rebecca's and godly Esther's, that we can be wise, but we can also be humble. And we can remember that you are the ultimate one in charge and that you direct our steps. And we thank you also for the mysteries of your word and the mysteries of the prophetic things that we hear that we don't understand. We thank you, Lord, that we don't understand everything because we're not as smart as you, Lord. We thank you for that because it means that you can always teach us and you can always mold us. And we thank you that you don't often directly rebuke us even when we have deep character flaws, even when we hurt people like Jacob because you love us and you're bent on bringing your promise and bringing your blessing into our lives. And along the way, Lord, you're gonna correct us through circumstance. And so we thank you for your mercy and how you generally teach us and shape us and mold us instead of rebuke us because so great is your loyal love for us. We thank you that that's how you do things. And uh, I ask that you would help us to, as a community, to be, to be clever and to be humble, to be wise and to be loyally faithful, just like you are, Lord. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.